Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a good Friday show for you. I know I'm coming at you a little bit later. I uh, had some different scheduling stuff this week, just as far as the pod goes in general. As you guys may have seen if you listened to the last episode, uh, it came out on Thursday, which I would encourage you to do. My uh, my best friend from college is also a sports agent, Michael Portner. Talked a lot of NIL stuff, working for uh, the real life Jerry Maguire. I would encourage you to check that one out. But anyway, coming at you a little later on this Friday, uh, we've got Travis Roeder of Sikkim365, uh, an independent website that covers Baylor uh, he's fantastic on scheme. I think it was a really great schematic breakdown of Baylor, what they like to do offensively, what makes them tick defensively. Gary Bohannon at quarterback and some of the outside zone concepts in particular that have made them such a strong running team. I got smarter talking to him. It's honestly because I'm publishing this on a Friday uh, afternoon. It's probably going to be an interview that I rerun as we get closer to the game. I've never done that before, but I just don't want it to get buried. It was uh, great stuff. So I think you're in for a treat there. And then Greg and I make some uh, NFL picks after that, plus the Army-Navy game because we love the troops. So we have that after Travis Roeder. Um, postseason for Greg and I. We're throwing out the record books. That just means I lost count of what our season-long record was about a month ago. And with college being over for the time being, before we get to bowl games, I'm going to see what our record will be over the last five weeks if I remember to keep up with it. So, anyway, fantastic Friday show for you. Before we get to that, Want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to check these guys out. College basketball season getting ticked up this weekend. I know you degenerates out there don't have much football to uh, bet on, other than some FCF stuff and uh, the Army Navy game. College basketball is by far their best model. They're up over 105 units over the last uh, two years alone. They went 6-0 and last Sunday. They're giving out a daily free play. That's skyboxsportspick.com slash free play. You get a daily college basketball free play. It's by far their best model, which is saying a lot because, my God, if you look at their NFL record over the last nine weeks, it is literally just printing money. And I'm not just saying that. I'll, uh, I'll get some uh, – some week to or year to date numbers on the NFL for the Sunday show because uh, I'm not bullshitting you. They're uh, absolutely printing money. You need to check them out. Um, whether it's a week long, month long package, they're going to have a fixed package that fits your price range. I'd recommend just riding with Skybox 365 days a year and go with the year long all sports pass. But if you need something a little bit cheaper to fit your price range, whether you just like one sport, all sports, they're going to have something that fits you. Check them out, Skybox Sports Picks. Com. Use the promo code Rippy and let them know we sent you, and you'll get 20% off any purchase. So that's free money right there, along with them consistently leading you to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Glad to have them on board the podcast. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. He's about to tell you about all the great stuff they have going on at the store at the end of this podcast. But if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrites.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week. I actually just sent out the Friday one a couple hours ago, uh, right before recording this. And uh, free meats, excuse me, discounted meats, not free meats. We got to run a business here. Uh, right now, it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your uh, holiday season, football watching, whatever it is you people do out there. Um, just show them proof of subscription, go in the store and they'll hook you up. Then go find your own favorites, fresh seafood, sausages, 
all kinds of great stuff. It's an Oxford treasure, and it is, the town is so lucky to have LBs. Greg wants to make your drilling experience great. All right, buckle up. We got a great Friday, Saturday show. Whenever the hell you people are listening to this, sorry uh, for being late on it. But uh, here's Travis Roder. You're going to learn a lot about Baylor here in this matchup. All right, we now welcome on Travis Roder. He covers Baylor for Sikkim365. Follow him on Twitter at Travis underscore Roder. You do a lot of scheme stuff, which I found interesting, kind of diving into Baylor, read some stuff, even I think that you've written elsewhere previously. So I want to dive into a lot of that today and kind of get a better idea for what Ole Miss is going to try to do and what you think Baylor is going to try to do in this matchup. I appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I will just get right into it. Baylor leads the Big 12 in rushing this year. Really, it doesn't take a whole hell of a lot to look at them and understand that it's a lot of outside zone concepts. Your first year offensive coordinator, you wave goodbye to Larry Fedora. In your mind, what has allowed Baylor's running game to be successful, specifically um, on the edges and it looks like a lot of zone stuff what have you seen from them this year well it's simultaneously like a very straightforward and very quick answer and also a very long answer but I'll go with the quick one and that is basically that uh, Baylor's 2020 offense which was headed by Larry Fedora and also um, Jorge Munoz who was an analyst at LSU previously and now is an analyst again there um, was just completely and utterly and wholly incompetently managed <laughs> Uh, and that's not overstating things. I mean, uh, you just look at what they were trying to do. There was no coherence to any any part of their offense. Um, the run game didn't match with the pass game. They were kind of just trying a grab bag of different run schemes where it seemed like one week they would try and run a lot of gap stuff, which is like power and, and G lead and, and stuff like that. Um, and then the next week they would just be trying inside zone. I mean, there was there was no identity. Um, and so the, the second half of that is that this year, the new off- offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, who came over from BYU, he brought his O-line coach, Eric Mateos, who's a rising star in the profession as well. And they basically just came in day one and said, look, um, they, they, they did the coach speak thing where they, they developed a moniker for their offense. They call it RBO, reliably violent offense. Fans can kind of laugh at it and be like, you know, you're, you're creating a three letter thing for your offense, whatever. But Uh, A lot of times for college players, having uh, a mantra and an identity means a lot. And I think this year from day one, they said, look, we're going to run wide zone. Um, We're going to be tough. We're going to be physical. We're not going to run a lot of plays, but we're going to run the few plays we run very well. Um, And so I think it's really not that it's not much more complicated than they were terrible last year. But now they have really good coaches. They had some really good talent to work with. And, um, you know, the one thing that the new offensive line coach Eric Mateos did is came in from day one and instilled a lot of confidence in guys. Last year, they were kind of beaten down. Their old line coach was yelling at them a lot. This year, he was just like, look, you guys are are bad. Uh, Y'all are badasses. Get after it. And uh, so sorry for the long-winded answer, but it really is more about confidence and culture than it is necessarily about scheme. Of course, everything starts with scheme, though. From a personnel standpoint up front, what was the turnover like on the offensive line? Does that remain the same? And it was just as simple as, as you mentioned, having an identity or do they get better up front? Uh, they improved. They improved, but it, I mean, it was basically the same guys. Um, they, it was just taking the same pieces and, and making them play better. And, and really, it was just about mentality. In the two, three-ish games, whether you want to count TCU in that or not, where Baylor seemed to struggle a little bit more offensively because they had a run there where they were just putting it on everyone's schedule was a little bit to do with that, but there were some decent defenses in there when they did struggle offensively at times this year. Was there a common thread in any of that? 
Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think a lot of it was their guard play, their left guard and right guard are clearly kind of the weak links of the offensive line. I mean, all of them played well in different spurts um, and Baylor's tackles are awesome. Their left tackle and their right tackle are just bona fide studs and their center is actually really, really good too. So saying that the left guard and right guard isn't saying they're bad players, but they're definitely um, not as good as their counterparts. And so when Baylor faced some defenses that had really, really good defensive tackle play, um, they struggled. Uh, and that was definitely the theme. Uh, I mean, it happened against Iowa State, even though Baylor beat them. And we saw that against Oklahoma State somewhat. They really had to earn all their yards. So, yeah, I mean, big, athletic, strong, interior defensive line play is going to give anybody struggles. Um, but that was what Baylor struggled with when they did struggle running the ball this year. When you look at Gary Bohannon as a quarterback, I know the, the Charlie Brewer era mercifully came to an end. Yes. It seemed <laughs> – <laughs> it it seemed like he was pretty clear cut to win this job. What did you know about Bohannon coming into this year? And does anything surprise you about what he is as a quarterback? Oh, totally. Like almost everything surprises me. I actually was a pretty big believer in Gary um, in the sense of, I believe that he could operate a very kind of competent offense for Baylor this year, but I wasn't really sure what the ceiling was. And basically all of that is because he played at the smallest classification of high school football in Arkansas. Uh, he's from a town called Earl, which is about, I think, 30 or 45 minutes west of Memphis. Um, and he basically just like ran the ball 24-7 there. Uh, he had a good arm. He has a strong arm um, and he's a great athlete. But at that level of play, as you can imagine, the offensive line play wasn't great. He was kind of just running around for his life and making things happen like things happen in small school ball. Um, and he's only a couple years from removed from that. He's only a third year college guy and he's had to play in a couple of different offenses now. So I just kind of figured as a first year starter, he very much would be eased into things as far as using his legs a lot, operating a few simple concepts and that's about it. Uh, but really from day one, he's kind of shown a great grasp for the offense. He's a tremendous leader. His teammates love him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just his overall kind of grasp on the offense and the fact that they haven't had to uh, spoon feed him so far. I mean, obviously with any first year quarterback, you're never going to um, give him the whole buffet, so to speak. Um, but he definitely has been able to, to put more on his plate than I figured entering the year. Give me your evaluation. I'll leave this to whichever way you want to go with it, with him as a pastor, where he struggles, where his greatest strengths are. Because as someone, I watched a few Baylor games this year, but obviously I'm not watching them every week like you are and even beyond that. <laughs> And if you just look at the raw wide receiver numbers, it seems like they're, you know, you kind of have one deep thread and then the rest of it is, is a little bit of short range stuff, just, but kind of keeping it focused on Bohannon for now, kind of give me your scouting report on him as a passer. He's a really good first year quarterback in the sense that he very clearly trusts his coaches. Um, and that's really clear from both watching the tape. And when you listen to him in interviews, he's just like a very kind of selfless and, um, a very selfless leader and works really hard and um, in the building all week leading up to games. And I say all that to say that he's uh, really good in the aspect of whatever the coaches tell him to do, like he's going to do it. So like they'll prepare in one look and they'll, they'll do the pre-snap motion. And if he gets the look defensively, they're looking for, he's going to let it rip. And, you know, 90 times out of a hundred, that's going to work out really, really well. But when defenses are able to mix things up or, or give different looks that Baylor wasn't prepared for, that's when he's been liable to throw a few balls, uh, throw a few interceptions this year. He hasn't thrown many, but the few that he has, you're kind of like, what is he doing? But it's because look, he was told if this happens, throw the ball and he does it. 
Um, so that's definitely has been his weakest, especially over the middle, uh, throwing over the middle. That's where almost all of his interceptions have happened this year. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a double, so many things in college football are double-edged swords and you love that he executes the game plan, but it definitely seems like, especially with a month to prepare, I would expect that Ole Miss is going to mix some things up and try and make him make some mistakes over the middle. I was watching some stuff earlier today on Bohannon and it was, I say that it was literally just a couple games from the big 12. I was bored at work. This may be a shot. I don't know how far it goes back. I don't know what your breadth of like knowledge is the SEC this shot in the dark, but like there was some fully healthy Bo Wallace vibes to me where Bo was a pretty competent runner, but more, more than competent runner. And when he was fully healthy, it was kind of like when he saw something, he let it rip. When he had to go beyond that, things got a little weird. I don't know if that, registers with you all and could you be completely off the mark but i don't know why he reminded me that a little bit he also seems to be a bigger guy yeah gary's a big guy uh, bo was what like 2015 or so 2014 yeah 2014 uh, he was like 2012 to 2014 2014 is when they had the actual like successful year yeah so i was in college back then so i wasn't really um as attuned to to player evaluations but uh, i mean I, I if you're saying he you know i i remember a bit of bo and um, obviously he was a big dude and he made things happen uh, Gary very much is a he's a full on 6'3", 225 probably. I mean, he's why like every SEC school offered him as a linebacker. Um, Interesting. And he's a big dude and he's really athletic, really explosive um, and has a big arm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you and your listeners would probably know how much better than I was, how much that matches with Bo. But, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. From a passing game standpoint on the receiver end, it's interesting. Ole Miss has had. They lost Elijah Moore at receiver. They had a decent bit of, like, front-end depth. And when they started having injuries, that really struggled. And what surfaced throughout the middle of the year was that they had some talented guys, but it was an information retention thing where that offense goes really fast, and it requires a lot of receivers to do a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage pretty quick. And they had a lot of trouble with some younger guys really kind of hammering that home, and they were really just – kind of rolling with it at certain points because they had no other option. And it looked really, really shitty at times from Baylor, from a receiver standpoint, how much does this offense replace like place line of scrimmage responsibility receiver? And what is kind of the MO from a, uh, I guess, kind of route tree identity standpoint. Yeah. um, That's another area where Baylor's done really well this year is that they have really defined roles for their wide receivers. Um, Essentially the the way Baylor's offense wants to operate um, if everything's going well for them is they're going to use their run game and then they're going to move into, you know, just max protect deep shots. And um, a lot of levels concept levels essentially just means that you have three guys moving across um, the quarterback's face. And, you know, he has a deep threat. He has an intermediate threat and a short threat. And that's kind of what a lot of Baylor's route tree ends up um, um, evolving into. Uh, Tyquan Thornton's the big guy to watch going deep. He essentially is just trying to take the, play, uh, the, the, the cap off the defense every play. That's kind of their like bread and butter stuff. Uh, what we saw in the Big 12 championship game for any fans who watched that was not that because Baylor really had to had to resort to running some spread ball. They ran a lot more kind of four and five wide receiver sets than they ever had all year, just because Oklahoma State's defense is so nasty up front um, that you really wanted to spread them out and attack that way. Uh, but I think if Baylor um, is able to operate the way you they want to and the way they have been able to most of the year, it's going to be, you know, run the ball, run the ball. And then that true play action where that quarterback has his back to the defense. Um, and maybe there's only two or three routes down the field. Uh, so yeah, anyway, all that to say that, yeah, it's not very complicated for the wide receivers there. It's basically just go routes, uh, slants, uh, posts, 
and some drags and crossers and stuff. Nothing, uh, not not nearly amount the amount of like choice routes and stuff that I know that the the Browns levy offense needs to use. And, in that rematch with Oklahoma State last weekend, were you surprised that they came out and threw the ball as much as they did with the backup quarterback? I know that it's something that it called for because, I mean, look at Oklahoma State's defensive line. And that's something I mentioned last night or Wednesday's pod, whatever it was about. Like, I know you don't necessarily think of like staunch defenses in the Big 12, but Oklahoma State from a front seven point, front seven standpoint has some dudes. Clearly, they didn't move the ball well against them in the first time. Were you surprised at how much they came out throwing the football? really just kind of like having the balls to do it standpoint. Obviously it's like schematically sounding the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I was, I, I knew they had to throw the ball to move the ball at all. Uh, I figured it would be kind of in, in going back to that answer I just gave, I figured they would really kind of try and take like those max protect deep shots yeah. uh, where you have eight or nine blockers and you only have uh, two re- wide receivers kind of taking the top off the defense. Uh, but what was really cool to see Baylor do is they, uh, they basically installed a bunch of new plays in that week and uh, spread them out. And they were able to get a lot of kind of short to mid short to intermediate gains, uh, which against a defense like OSU, if you can get seven yards on first down, I mean, like you're throwing a party. Um, I've seen like in pretty much every advanced stat system, um, Oklahoma State is a top five defense nationally, which is just crazy. Um, and those same systems all have uh, Ole Miss as a top 10 offense nationally too. So uh, any listeners can know that these aren't uh, bad systems, I guess, but <laughs> anyway, it did surprise me that they spread them out and through like that. Cause that's a, yeah, like you said, it takes a lot of balls to, to trust a backup quarterback to execute a drop back game. Cause uh, you know, one thing that Dave Aranda has said in the past, which I really, I think is true is he says, you know, drop back passing, which is just straight up, just like, you know, receiving the ball and shotgun and just it, it, no play fake or anything like that. Just, just, just pure drop back game is the hardest thing to do in college football because it really it exposes your offensive tackles to pass rush. You know, these offensive linemen are in business classes or whatever throughout the week. And then, you know, not necessarily spending all week, you know, uh, preparing for blitzes and stuff. So eventually you generally get, uh, you're going to get sacked or make a mistake. So anyway, it, it was, uh, I was definitely surprised to see them execute that, but it was fun to see for sure. Kind of flipping it to the other side of the football defensively, something David Rand is known for. Uh, one of the things I've always thought was pretty interesting about him is he's pretty, uh, I guess, malleable. Like versatile is not even necessarily the right word for it, but in terms of just kind of having versatile guys and make in your collective defense having some malleability, they weren't terrible, I didn't think, defensively last year. Now, granted, this is a COVID year, hard to gauge a lot from it, but what do you think has been the biggest, I guess, difference defensively in year two and the success that they've had? Yeah, malleable is the right word. Uh, that is, I mean, if you look at all of his stops from anywhere from Hawaii to Utah State to Wisconsin to LSU, I mean, all of these defenses are different. Uh, like anybody, they're going to have some kind of core principles they always use, but Aranda is very much a kind of takes what he has and then makes the best out of it kind of guy. Um, I mean, the biggest difference from last year, like you said, they weren't terrible last year. They were just you know, kind of like everyone. Everyone had their own COVID issues to to some degree or the other. For Baylor, it was like they were playing defensive ends that should that are playing at 290 now, and they were playing at like 260 last year because they had all gotten COVID and then been out for months, and their weight was all off. And anyway, so yeah, they were an okay unit last year. Uh, the big thing this year is just their front is nasty. I mean, like like the probably the best front we've seen in the Big Twelve in a couple years now. Um, and, and it's just they control the, what any college defense wants to be able to do, or really this goes for the NFL too, is to be able to control uh, control the offensive run game. So stop the run, 
uh, while keeping two safeties back. Uh, if you can do that, it gives you so many more options with how you can defend the pass game. It just it makes it easier to disguise things pre-snaps. You can move into more coverages. You can play safer coverages, more zone. And Baylor, uh, if you kind of think of a standard offensive play, and especially for Ole Miss, if you think of a standard offensive run play as five offensive linemen and one tight end, right? So that's six blockers. Uh, and, and what Baylor's been able to do is go six on six where they have four defensive linemen and two linebackers, and they've been able to stop the run going even like that. If you think about how gaps work, any the defense usually always has to be plus one. So to be fully gapped out against six blockers, you usually need to have seven guys, which for a lot of defenses means bringing down that safety. Uh, Baylor's been able to stop it with even numbers, which is uh, their, their, their defensive backs aren't that good this year, but their front has been so good that it's allowed them to play conservative and kind of protect those guys on the back end. It's pretty much how Ole Miss beat Texas A&M that night in Oxford, and I think that's what made the results so shocking was the manner that they were able to do it because Ole Miss should Ole Miss hadn't been able to show that sort of thing in over half a decade. If you go back and watch some Ole Misses, I mean, pick the year from 2016 to 2019, it'll make your eyes bleed. It's uh, – Pretty, pretty brutal. So that, that, but that, that was kind of a similar deal. They were able to control the line of scrimmage with keeping two guys back and Calzana just kind of got snakes in his head. It's interesting because Baylor turns defense opposing opponents over pretty much. I think they led or second in the big 12 in interceptions. Do you think that's a product of the defensive front? I know they have a couple really good safeties back there, but the way you talk about the defensive front, it seems like they're putting quarterbacks in stressful situations and you got athletic guys back there to make them pay for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And um, I think anytime you force college quarterbacks to throw into contested zones a lot, it's just going to happen because, you know, college quarterbacks aren't pro guys. They're going to make mistakes. I mean, that was exactly what we saw with them turning Spencer Sanders, uh, Oklahoma State's quarterback over four times. I mean, it was just a matter of, look, if he drops back and throws 30 times, he's going to throw three or four picks. It's just what he does. Um, so a lot of it is that just being able to, the more you can play conservative coverages, the more opportunities you give yourself. Um, and the other thing is, you know, what, what Aranda really has made kind of the core principle of his defense that he does no matter the scheme and no matter the personnel is he runs what are called simulated pressures or creepers, or you'll hear a lot coaches use lots of different terms for it, but essentially all it means is Aranda is a, Aranda's defenses are a thousand different ways to rush for. Uh, he might start with four guys on the line, but he plays a lot of games with who actually ends up being the final four rushing. Um, and so what that does is a lot of times can confuse quarterbacks as, to far as, who, as far as who is involved in the pass defense and who is actually rushing. And, and that's what can lead to those crucial mistakes. He's as good as anyone from a X's and O's standpoint. What's interesting to me, I mean, you got to have players to do it. And Baylor goes, you know, 11 and two this year, they win the big 12. What's been fascinating to me, I did, I, calling it a deep dive would be completely disingenuous. I went and toggled the 247 thing for 10 recruiting classes or whatever. Yeah. It, particularly the last three, I mean, they've had one class inside the top 30, according to 247's composite in the last four or five years. That I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think they only had one inside the top 25 in the last decade. But just strictly as it pertains to a random or the end of rule, kind of this current talent cycle, how, like what is their recruiting footprint and how are they finding guys? Because you mentioned their front is very good, but it doesn't necessarily seem to add up from a, you know, strictly look at what this is on signing day versus how it's translating a year or two later. Is it player development? How, how are they doing this? It's a really specific strategy that um, rule really uh, Matt rule instituted while he was at Baylor, which was they had a recruiting director who's actually moved on to um, Texas tech now. 
Um, and they had this very kind of Is that strange, Maguire? Like, uh, no, so no, so Maguire, Maguire took him. Ma- yeah, exactly. Um, this was a guy who just worked purely in recruiting. Okay. Um, but they had a system where it very much was like this guy's mantra was see a stud, offer a stud. Uh, and they were huge, uh, they were huge into testing. And Rule was such a kind of an aggro, uh, egotistical, and I mean that like in the best sense of the way for for college coaches or for for coaches, you know, coaches really have to have an ego in many respects. And a lot of college coaches are willing to say that they're the they're willing to be the first offer for guys and that they can find guys and stuff like that. But Rule would straight up go to a guy who had one offer from an FCS school and trust his eyes and be like, no, this guy's a stud. Um, and so what, what ended up happening there is they would take a lot of commits from guys who had like no offers, uh, but were bona fide studs. And then once they commit to Baylor, uh, really just wouldn't get reevaluated by recruiting services because there's just not a lot of money in that for, for them. And anyway, all that to say, and they were also really big into testing. So like, for example, I mean, uh, they've got a guy on their team named Gabe Hall, who's a defensive end, who's probably one of uh, easily is going to be one of the best defensive linemen that Ole Miss faces this year. Um, he's just he's just a verified stud. He was a mid three star prospect, but he's six five two ninety and has plus plus length as far as like arm length and stuff like that goes. And he's in year four of the program right now. And he was a guy who was really raw out of high school, but he is very much will measure up as a top tier like NFL defensive lineman as far as his measurables go. Um, and so anyway, all that to say that like they kind of very much took a diamonds in the rough type of approach. They took chances on guys when they didn't have a lot of offers and they took chances on guys who had a lot of athleticism, but maybe hadn't played a lot of football before. Um, and I think it was a smart strategy because if you just kind of go ho-hum and try and compete with the with the top dogs, you're not going to win a lot of those matchups. They kind of went for that approach. And I'll be curious to see how Aranda continues to you can see that he's definitely continued to implement it in some ways, but every coach has to put their own stamp on things. But anyway, that was probably too long of an answer for your listeners to care about Baylor football recruiting. But anyway, not at all, particularly, I mean, shit, it's recruiting. Look at our message board right now. Recruiting <laughs> is literally the only thing anyone cares about it. Like it's fascinating. And you mentioned that concerted strategy and just with like the history of Baylor, because they've been a good program. Look, I know a lot of stuff has happened. You've got coaching cover, but I mean, look for a decade and a half, they've been a good program. Now, how does that strategy play not that it matters, but I'm just curious from like a fan base psyche. Like I imagine the first like a class and a half at least where they're offering these guys that are not well known. You're like, like is there a point where you're like, what the hell are we doing? Like, like how did that translate? And at what point was like that trust built? Where like actually this this shit works. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've always one of the first kind of things I got into when I started writing about college football like five, six, seven years ago was doing recruiting about evaluations. Um, and so I loved it from the start because I was like, oh, like I've always loved finding like guys that are unranked and realizing that they're actually really good players. So I loved it from the start because you could tell they were offering really good kids. But obviously recruiting is like it's like the uh, like the Pandora's box as far as like yeah. opinions. You'll always find people who love and hate anything. You're never going to find agreement on anything. I think um, the moment that any of these kids don't pan out and, and that was the risk under rule system was like. You know, sometimes when you take flyers on super athletes who hadn't played a lot of football, like they're just not going to work out. Um, it's a very kind of boomer bust kind of thing. And, and so guys would be quick to say, oh, look at this guy who didn't work out or anyway. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any one strategy that all fans will get behind. Uh, I think obviously if you're a Baylor fan, you would love to just be able to win a, win a bunch of head to head battles with Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, Baylor does do that a few, for a few kids every year, but if you try and fill out your class just going for the same guys that Texas and Texas A&M are going after, you're not going to have a good time. 
is there one guy on so for Ole Miss? I think it's pretty obvious that it was Jake Springer because he missed four games, and you look at the defensive numbers without him versus with them. Is there one guy that makes this defense go just in terms of like the most important player on that side, or is that system not necessarily function that way? I mean, I think to some degree, there's you know. Yes, yes and no. Um, they were missing Terrell Bernard, who's their middle linebacker, their inside linebacker for a while this year, and there was a definite difference with him in and out. It's kind of hard not to start up front. Um, Apu Aika is Baylor's nose tackle. He's legitimately probably like 370 pounds and probably is the quickest defensive lineman on the team. Like, I'm not, I'm not making that up. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. He was a high four-star recruit who actually went to LSU, and he was recruited by Aranda there. And he ended up transferring when LSU brought in Bo Pelini and tried to force him into a position that he didn't want to play. And that was much to Baylor's benefit. I mean, he's a verified freak, um, like straight up. Uh, so it's kind of hard not to start with him just because anytime you have a difference maker right there on the nose that can just bowl over the center every play, uh, that's big. But I really think it all starts up front with Baylor. So Ika, who's the nose tackle, and then that guy, Gabe Hall, I mentioned a, a few questions back. He's a defensive end. Those two, along with the inside linebacker, Bernard, have really been incredibly disruptive on every play. And I think would be at the, you know, if I had to create a list of four or five guys that are most crucial for Baylor to keep healthy, they, those three would all be on it for sure. I'm kind of bouncing around here at the tail end of this, just like kind of looking at questions I missed. But the in the line with that strategy we're talking about, the kid that made the stop at the end of the game last weekend yeah. i mean that was like a shitty sports movie ending like you could not have made it as yeah. dramatic. i couldn't have made it any more dramatic that kid was a former walk-on right does that fall in line with that sort of con i guess concerted strategy you were talking about yeah it's interesting because uh he came on as a walk-on and rule who um he said he had i remember in a press conference one time he was like look we've got a kid who's a walk-on who just ran a 43940 um and it's because he's like 5'8 so he wasn't a tall kid. And, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it showed that even in their walk-ons, they were like, we're not going to take you unless you're super fast. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was cool for him because he's kind of bounced around. He's been an on and off again starter. One of those kids who got put on scholarship, but, uh, you know, I am a big believer in evaluations. Like I think you can afford to take a flyer on three or four kids in your class every year who might not be super athletes, but are just like straight up football players. I think you can have a handful of guys on your team that are like that. Um, but one thing that I still firmly believe in, um, and I think that a lot of the guys on the Baylor squad show uh, that were recruited by rule um, is like, dude, speed is speed and uh, measurables are measurables. Length is length. And at the end of the day, like no amount of toughness would have uh, ran down OSU's running back. <laughs> like that guy had some speed. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty beneficial there. Kind of looking at it from a matchup specific standpoint, Baylor's pretty, as you mentioned, as stout as anyone Ole Miss will face this year, you know, Sands, Texas A&M, Alabama, kind of up in that range up front. If there's a, like, as you look at it, and I'm sure you, there's still more time to like get into it, but like, I guess if, if there was a way you you would fear that Ole Miss would get after Baylor offensively, is there something that they do that you would think they're susceptible to? Because Ole Miss kind of goes as the running game goes. They've been able to manufacture it in other ways because they're actually pretty weak on the interior offensive line. But if that's taken away, like they become a much different offense. What have you seen so far in terms of that matchup? Randa, like anytime you play with two safeties back, like Baylor has wanted to do this year, you just kind of are forfeiting the QB run game. Because as we talked about earlier, like you're already at a disadvantage in the running back run game as numbers go. 
And if you add the QB into that number, like you really can outnumber the defense at the point of attack. Um, does that mean you're going to get a touchdown every time you run the ball? No, but I'll be really curious to see, like people have been asking me whether Corral is going to play. And I guess that's a point of discussion. I hadn't even thought about it. That um, is a yes. Okay. Okay. So that he, has he come out and said that? Yeah, he, he kind of – it was one of those things after the bowl game. I don't know where that got misconstrued because I actually did see a couple of headlines about that. He was like, look, if I'm healthy, I'm playing. So, okay. like, he's healthy, so he'll he'll give it a go. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, and he seems like a, like a, I love football players that got a little arrogant streak to him. Like, yeah. maybe, I, maybe I wouldn't want my son to be Matt Corral, but, like, <laughs> I like watching him play football, you yeah, know. for sure. <laughs> And uh, I, I don't say that to disparage him at all. I know nothing about him, but I just mean like, I, I like, like with Baker Mayfield and stuff like that too. It's like, I like players that play a little F you attitude on the field is what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, it's so all that to say, he seems like a guy who's probably not going to like one question we always have in these bowl games is like, whether guys are going to play to protect themselves or whatever like that. It seems like Corral, like if he's playing, he's, he's one of those guys that he only knows one speed and that's full go. Um, so I think if all almost wants to run him, uh, and run him a lot they'll probably have a good amount of ex- success with it because it's just one thing that like Baylor's willing to get up give up and Aranda uh, would probably say look if you want to give him up to taking 15 shots this game fine you know I bet he won't get up from one of them or whatever let it's like that or it'll make him throw the ball worse but that is definitely just like schematically the advantage of the, is there and I think that's a big thing to watch because almost his offense doesn't really work um and I say Ole Miss, so, so the, any kind of heavy RPO system or any heavy vertical system doesn't really work unless you can get teams out of too high because the entire idea is to, get, is to push teams down against the run, get them into a single high safety look, and that's when you really attack them up the seam and downfield with verticals. Um, so I think Ole Miss is not going to probably be able to get much done on the running back run game, and so I think watching whether they're willing to run Corral a lot is going to be a big thing because I think that's going to be their primary way that they can really get the ball moving on the ground. It's a Kiffin's a big believer in the Bryles system. I mean, the the last couple of guys he's had as offensive coordinators that Bryles offense, whether it's Lebby or you know whomever, it's it's so it's I'm sure it's something that watching Baylor football as long as you guys are familiar with as well. Kind of on the flip side of that, what do you think Baylor could do offensively to give Ole Miss problems? They're a weird defense. You look at it numbers wise, you're like Jesus, these guys suck. But like the last like five six games of the year. They developed a pass rush. They actually kind of carried the team for a month. So they're a bizarre defense if you just look at it from a statistic standpoint. But what do you think Baylor could do to exploit Ole Miss? Uh, Brian, I'm a firm believer in never pull things out of your ass. And I'll be honest, I have not <laughs> looked at that yet. Uh, yeah, it's just like one of those things where I know I still have three weeks to look. No, at yeah, for defense, sure. So I haven't done it yet. So I'd rather not lie to your listeners. Um, I know, I, as you were saying, though, I know the numbers. Um so uh, I guess I, instead of me talking for two minutes, maybe you could give the lowdown on uh, what's up with them giving up so many rush yards if you think they're actually playing decently up front right now. It's, it's bizarre because a lot of that came in the beginning of the year. And even some of the games, if you look at it, when they give up, like I think they gave up like 221 at Tennessee, but Tennessee ran the ball 56 times because yeah. they couldn't really do much else. And so it was a lot of that. And I think the biggest difference between them in the second half of the year and the first half is one, they got the Springer kid back who there's not much that sticks out about him on paper, but Jesus, that kid has good instincts. And he's very active at the line of scrimmage that helped in the run game. And they were very, for whatever reason, much more comfortable blitzing when he came back. And they had two guys, Sam Williams, who's made himself a lot of money from a draft status standpoint this year, really emerged into a more consistent threat. And they had another younger kid come along on the other side. And When you have a pass rush, you have a chance. And I think that's really what changed 
change for that defense this year. And so even when they've given up some yards defensively, they keep everything in front of them. They don't give up very many big plays, and they've been good enough in the second half of the year against the run to force some pretty average quarterbacks into obvious passing situations, I think. So when you do, first of all, I appreciate the answer. Not <laughs> Knowing what you don't know, I appreciate it because, I mean, I mean, hell, I'm guilty of it. Sometimes, you know, nine times out of ten, someone will just pull something out of your ass, as you mentioned. So I do appreciate that. But, like, when you look at their numbers and then when you dive into it, you'll be like, I don't understand this. And it's, it's very much a, like, October – 10th whatever after the Arkansas game was on and it's it's an interesting uh dynamic I got that's interesting because one thing one thing every team has to adjust against is against Baylor is how I talked about earlier about the drop pack passing Baylor actually I think their offensive line has given up the fewest amount of sacks in all of college college football this year and it's not because they're the world's best pass protectors I mean far from it I mean they're good they're fine but they're not the best pass protecting unit in college football the big thing is just that they only drop back pass maybe 10 times a game. So if they're running 80 plays, they're running 50 run plays, they're running 25 play action and rollout plays and maybe 10 to 15 true drop back game. So teams that have a lot of edge pressure um, or guys that like to just feast off the edge, a lot of times really have to adjust to kind of uh, that's just not going to be their game. They're going to, it's very much more like attacking play action and stuff like that and not just purely kind of getting off the ball on the snap. So that'll be something to watch. Dude, I appreciate this. This is awesome stuff. I got to ask that. I probably should have started with this. What is your background? How did you get into the, I guess, kind of, I mean, obviously it looks like you, I mean, it sounds like you watch tape. How did you get into all of this? And because, I mean, I learned a lot of football just sitting here for 35 minutes. What was your background? How did you get into this? Um, it's kind of just, uh, it's a tough question or it's not a tough question to answer, but it's, it's not a sexy answer. I mean, football is just one of those things. You just have to learn piece by piece. Like, it's like eating pancakes, man. If you try and eat 30 pancakes in a sitting, you're going to have a bad time, right? Like you just got to eat one pancake at a time. Um, one can pancake per day or whatever it is. And anyway, so I say all that to say, like, you know, I went to college back and I started in 2011. Um, and then after I graduated, I started kind of doing a few articles and stuff like that. And, and I've always just been one of those dudes that like, anything I'm interested in, I kind of go full to the max. So I don't have a lot of interest, but what I do get interested in, I go all the way. But anyway, all that to say, like the fun thing is just, there's so much information out there now and there's so, so many great resources. And I would just encourage anybody who loves the game and wants to know more about it. Like things seem so like opaque and hazy when you first start, but it's, it's like the pancakes thing. I was just saying, you can't learn everything in one day. So just like, Hey, like this commentator used this word. I've never heard it before. What does that mean? Just look it up and you'll probably forget it the next day. And then you'll have to look it up the next week. But after you look it up 30 times, then you'll remember it. Like that's how it is. And, and that's just how it is kind of over the years, you just build up stuff. And uh, I think if you like listening to coaches speak, like there's never been a better time. Like you can literally just like YouTube a video of like Nick Saban talking about how they pass off route combos and stuff like that. I mean, even, even stuff like that for me is difficult, but Anyway, all that to say, there's a lot of information out there, but I would just say, like, if you are interested, don't get overwhelmed at first. Just be like, look, this is a process and and I'll be a lot smarter day by day, but you're not going to wake up and read one book and all of a sudden understand football. That's just not how it works. Well, I got smarter. Hopefully our listeners did too. This was fantastic stuff, man. I appreciate the time and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Thanks, Brian. All right, that was Travis Roeder. Uh, appreciating him joining us and coming on. I had to work around some scheduling stuff, and I appreciate the time he made for us. Uh, I got smarter. That guy knows a lot of football and a lot of Baylor football. 
Um, and like I said, I'm probably going to listen to that again before the game gets here. I don't ever listen to my own podcast for a variety of reasons, but man, that guy up. I felt a lot smarter after listening to that. Before we get to Greg and picks, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Manscaped. That's right, Manscaped. You need to join the over 2 million men that trust Manscaped. They offer precision tools for your jewels. They're here to make me time in the bathroom, your favorite time in the bathroom. Check them out, the Lawnmower 4.0 model. I got one uh, myself. Sent me a nice shirt, some boxers. Uh, fresh, L- I got a nice LED light on there, portable chargers. I heard the 70s were a wild time. Sky, uh, I was about to say Skybox. Manscaped is here to make that make sure that's a thing of the past. Need to be nice and kemp down there. You don't need it to be some sort of jungle. Again, this is not the 70s. I don't know if any uh, 60s or 70s, 60s hippies or 70s, whatever the pe- you people did uh, during that time are still around, but you need to need to get with the times. Let Manscaped handle, uh, handle your business down there and make sure you're uh, nice and kempt. So check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW, and you will get 20% off any purchase. All right. Now after Greg's favorite ad, here's Greg's picks. Here is some fresh cuts before we get out of here for the weekend. All right. We now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. We, uh, we're back with another edition of NFL-only Fresh Cuts. We missed the conference championship week last week, and then we're coming at you a little bit later on a Friday today. We've had some uh, – we've been playing hurt. We've had some technical difficulties. So last week we were going to record – we had a scheduling conflict on Thursday, so we are going to do it early Friday morning. And then I woke up on Friday morning, and then I had a microphone issue. And then once I got that worked out, my Mac, uh, MacBook just – fried and stopped turning on so like if there was ever like a sign from god that was like do not wager this week on these games and don't make picks that might have been it we're finally back how are you my friend i'm good as always man uh you know uh, got through um uh, got through thanksgiving you know didn't eat too much and uh back at the store and grinding away at the store so yeah you know uh uh, it, it, the first two weeks in December is kind of slow, you know, kids coming back from Thanksgiving, you really only have like a week and a half left to school before you get, I think it's a six week vacation now. I think that's yeah. the break. I was always so. a, uh, I was always a winter session kid, which it was a scam for the university. It's like, Hey, come back up during this long Christmas break and take this class for two weeks. But I did it every single year because I couldn't stay at home that long. Six weeks is an absurdly long Christmas break. Yeah, and and plus, you know, uh, it's actually a good little uh, good little time in Oxford. Whenever uh, during Christmas break, you know, not so many people there, and uh, you can enjoy yourself. So, uh, as a local Ox- uh, Oxonian, uh, I-, I enjoy the Christmas break, and uh, so got to take advantage of that. I enjoyed the Christmas break too. I like the summer as well when you can catch people in Oxford when. Like, I hate being the, like, thank God the students are gone, guys. It's not necessarily what I mean by it. But, like, just when it's less crowded in town, that was my favorite part about winter session was you could kind of move around, do whatever you wanted on the square without uh, much issue. What's, um, what's like, for – what's the – what's your Thanksgiving Christmas dinner looking like? I know you're not necessarily, like, a traditionalist in that sense. You're well-versed in the meats, to say the least. What, what do you do for Thanksgiving and Christmas from, like, a food, uh, food uh, aspect? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, it's always, um, you know, to ha- cool to have that traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Honestly, I actually go to the library on Thanksgiving Day because they have a full-out spread uh, uh, on on every Thanksgiving. So I usually do the original Thanksgiving uh, at the library. But, 
my sister um, uh, invited me and the family to uh, take care of a uh, little Thanksgiving like lunch. So I ended up bringing uh, the meats and stuff like that. So uh, just kind of a, kind of a, yeah, I don't know, kind of a random Thanksgiving lunch on a Friday. I ended up doing like I bowled some shrimp. I did a bacon wrap pork loin. I did a couple uh, drunk chickens and uh, smoked a turkey. So yeah, I ended up doing a little, little traditional, you know, kind of uh, Thanksgiving that Friday afternoon. But man, I'm a big Chinese guy on uh, Thanksgiving days and stuff like that. Wow, that was all over the place. So you've got the the boiled shrimp, the drunken chicken, but you like going to get Chinese, and then the library. I like Thanksgiving at the library just as Squanto and the Pilgrims intended. What uh, what's where does the Chinese come into play? Is that a late night deal after an egg bowl win? Yeah, well, I mean that's uh, if nothing's planned, you know, as okay. far as with my family, you know, um, if I if I don't have any family thing doing, you know, on Thursday, um, you know, usually uh, thanks uh. Chinese is going to be the only thing open on Thanksgiving. So, um, so yeah, if I don't have anything planned with family or anything like that on Thursday, uh, yes, I, I'm all about Chinese food on Thanksgiving. Was it you and me or me and – I can't remember if it, was, if it was you or Weldon I was talking to where we, we both agreed on the turkey take. I actually don't like turkey. I mean, I don't dislike turkey. I think it's very average. When I have the option to do both at Thanksgiving and Christmas, deal with Tam all the way. I just find turkey to be sort of bland and very average. Yeah, I agree on that. I, I, yeah, that was definitely me. I'm I'm not a turkey guy. I mean, I like the dark meat, you know, but uh, I'm 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 okay on the ham. But yes, I want the ham. I'm I'm okay with the turkey, but I want the ham. I actually um, ordered a couple uh, hams that, uh, and I'm gonna smoke them. It's one of those spiral cut hams. I'm gonna uh, gonna like put a bunch of crushed pineapple on it, and then just wrap it up and put it on the smoker for about an hour or two, kind of double smoke it. So yeah big ham guy we actually had a lady bring a gigantic ham into the office during so my office has a cafeteria they're trying to get people to eat on campus most days and she just brought a ham into the cafeteria yesterday and was like what's up i'm checking in with the big ass ham like she didn't really explain why there was no occasion i if she said where she got it i didn't pay attention but she was just dishing out ham to the entire company she's like ham for all these people uh, what's yeah, that, man. What's that I, I would be all line? That. Corn dogs for all these people. Yeah. Jackie. She was like, have this ham. It was it was fine. I was a little suspect. I was like, is she like doing like the cyanide deal? I've seen this cult movie, but I didn't know what was up, but it tasted okay. Yeah, you literally walk into the break room and there's a lady just uh, slicing ham. You're like, are you here for the ham? <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever. Thanks for the ham, lady uh, in accounting or whatever it is that you do. I appreciate that. And I'll go back to my seat now. We uh speaking of like holidays and football winding down, we uh we're into our own we'll call this our postseason because you can throw out the record books. We're down to one college game left, one college regular season game. That's Army Navy. We'll pick that game because we don't hate America. And then we'll get straight to the NFL. I am going to make it my mission over this last month. Well, we got five weeks of the NFL season left. I'm going to keep up with our records in December and January, because they remember what you do in December, is what I'm told. I think Matt Luke coined that phrase. He was the first coach ever to say what they remember what you do in November. So we're going to throw out the record books. We've got pretty much NFL-only slate this week. Got a decent good, uh, slate of games, I think, just judging off the top. There's some thinkers in here, but there's some, there's some watchable ones, I would call it. And then we'll pick the Army-Navy game. So it, uh, all the record books out are here. This is our postseason. 
we got to make the Christmas money. Um, you know, we can't be digging into our bank accounts to buy relatives that we don't like Christmas presents. We need to have a second stream of cash in. So we need to make money before Christmas. Yeah. Do we have sports bo- uh, uh, sports box with us? No, so, so they're uh, they not with us this week. They said they would rejoin for the bowl game. Uh, so they'll be back with us for the bowl game. They don't really give out NFL picks because they have to make money or whatever. And uh, I don't think they had a play on Army-Navy. So they'll be back with us uh, next week. Uh, but they're doing college. But they college basketball is their best model. If you guys want to check that out, they got a daily free play up there. But Skybox will be back with us uh, next week as we do our bowl extravaganza. Yeah, I think I read a tweet the other day. I think they uh, clean sweeped uh, their uh, card in basketball like uh, two days ago or something like that. Yeah, they tell me – so they're good. They've had a ridiculous year in the NFL. I'd love to see what their end-of-year's numbers are. They're as hot as anyone in the NFL right now. This is not even me plugging an ad. Like, they are printing money NFL-wise right now. But the guys at Skybox told me that college basketball is by far their best model. They're up, like, over 100 units over the last two years. So that's their kind of their uh, bread and butter, I would say. And, uh, yeah, so I think they went 6-0 and last Sunday. So if you're out there listening, what the hell are you doing not using it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I know it sucks to where whenever you look at sites like that, you're like, golly, can I afford to spend $100 on picks or $150? But whenever they're cashing, yeah, I mean, that's when that's definitely worth it. It's really the safest and, like, I don't want to say only reliable way because there are some dudes out there that are good at it, but very few. It's pretty much the only way to consistently make money over a longer period of time. Like, I get it. A lot of people do it for fun. Like, you know, whatever, I'll win some weeks, probably lose more weeks, blah, blah, blah. But if you're actually, like, trying to make it, like, make money over a long period of time, that is the way to do it. I agree. Um, all right, let's get right into it. We had a Thursday night game last night, Kirk Cousins. That was, like, the quintessential Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins experience. They're the strangest NFL team I've encountered in a long time. They got up, like, 29 nothing or 29-3. Then all of a sudden, I flipped the game off. I started watching The Office, actually. And then I looked at my phone, and Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers had the football with two minutes left, down 36-28 with a chance to go tie up the game, and it took to the last play of the game to fend off the Steelers. Weird one last night. We'll, uh, let's start in the 1 o'clock slate. We'll go Chiefs-Raiders. It is this Kansas City Chiefs minus 9.5 at Arrowhead. So this game's at home against the Las Vegas Raiders. Kansas City whipped up on them pretty good in the first meeting a few weeks ago on Sunday Night Football. This feels like a lot of points. It's kind of you're getting the December, you're kind of getting the Chiefs are back vibes, but it's really just the Chiefs that have fixed their defense. Their offense actually has not been very good even throughout this recent stretch of them winning games. What uh, Do you have a lean here? This feels like too many points. Yeah, I agree with you on this. I mean, like, I know that, you know, the Chiefs kind of hand, handed the Raiders a, a big loss, uh, you know, on that Sunday night game. But, uh, you know, you learn a lot. From, uh, from that matchup, and uh, it's hard to beat a team two times in a row, especially, you know, with a point spread like that. But I, I just see it, this being, a you know, a touchdown or a field goal game. I just think it's way too many points. I'm going to go with the Raiders. I agree. Even on a neutral field, I wouldn't think they're even a touchdown better than the Raiders. I get, again, like I said, their defense is playing better, but the offense, like, they, I don't know if they're scoring enough points to cover the nine. And in that division, if Kansas City wins this game, depending on what the Chargers do this weekend – they're going to be in the driver's seat to win that. They're eight and four. The Chargers are seven and five. Then you got the Raiders and Broncos at six and six. So if the Raiders can somehow pull this game off. Like that division becomes really kind of kind of fascinating over the last four weeks of the season. I don't necessarily see Las Vegas winning this game, but I think they'll come closer to doing that than 
not covering the nine points. How you could argue Denver could have slash should have covered a nine-point spread last week in Arrowhead, and they're way worse, I think, than uh, Las Vegas. So we're both on the Raiders there. That's probably a dangerous sign. Let's uh, go to your New Orleans Saints. They're losers of five in a row. Uh, they are minus five and a half at home against the New York Jets, who have won a game. Are they coming off a win? Did they beat the, the Texans last week, or was that two weeks ago? I can't that remember. That was two weeks ago. Two okay, weeks ago. So I wonder what – I forget what happened to them last week. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Zach Wilson's uh, back healthy. They are – I mean, they look okay. That defense has some speed to it when it's healthy. Um, the Jets were, uh, uh, the Jets oh, they lost the Philly last week. week. Yeah, well, else the Dolphins last week. Minshew, uh, Minshew Mania, our guy. Uh, he yeah. tore up the uh, tore up the Jets last week. This is the Saints minus five and a half. Saints really need this win. They're one of those teams. So pretty much everyone in the NFC is still technically in the playoff race. I'd say, even though they're like not really in it, the Saints need this to kind of stay alive. But I, I don't know. You're a Saints fan, so you would know better than I am. This feels like that they're just kind of turning the page to next year. There's only so much one team can overcome in a year. Honest to God, credit to Sean Payton and this coaching staff for being five and seven at this point and not completely, I guess, kind of hitting the uh, hitting the proverbial shitter. But like, my God, you lose a quarterback. You've had COVID issues. This just feels like too much, and it feels like they're trying to figure out a quarterback they can get in the draft. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I think you just got to press the reset button if you're a New Orleans Saints fan. Um, you know, Sean Payton's had a good run. I'm not sitting here saying that he should, you know, be replaced. But, you know, it's just time. Uh, sometimes you just got to press the reset button. And I don't know, honestly, where they're going to go in the draft. But, you know, I, I just – I, I kind of scratched my head after they paid, you know, Taysom Hill, that you know, the dollar amount they paid. And I don't know, man. You know, uh, it's actually gone to – more of a defensive, you know, team. You know, they based on everything off that defense and not so much, uh, you know, uh, offense. So, I don't know, man. I, it's hard for me to take the Jets, you know, especially you know, with the Saints at home. But the Saints have been playing so bad. But I'm going to still ride the Saints here. I just feel like, you know, man, something a light has to go off or something like that, man. It's just uh, – or something needs to happen or, you know, just something in general needs to go happen. I don't really – so I'm not a Saints fan at all. I think people that listen to this pretty regularly, I've, I've probably repeated that ad nauseum. I grew up a Titans fan. I don't dislike the Saints. I grew up around a ton of Saints fans. but And I don't usually like fanboy over athletes at all. But how cool would it be if they somehow worked their way into getting corralled? That would be so sick. Yeah, I, have to, I mean, you know, it's either – man – I think you go for somebody like uh, Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, that's just me. Oh, I uh, agree. But, just from a purely, like, interest standpoint, I just would find that fascinating. I think that oh, would, yeah, it would be kind of like, a, you know, um, whenever whenever the Saints were like – whenever Ole Miss fans were like, man, that'd be awesome if the Saints drafted Deuce. And, you know, that happened. So, uh, wherever Corral goes, I think it's going to be a really good situation because, um, you know, they, they realize that, you know, Matt Corral's a gamer, man. And, uh, you know, the Heisman Trophy does not matter. I promise you that. Yep. I wrote about that today in today's newsletter, rippywrights.substack.com. Um, I wrote about that as well. Look, if someone dra- – the, if the, however many quarterbacks get drafted ahead of Corral, that's however many mistakes and GMs that should be fired. I'm, uh, I'm fully on board that train. I'm going to go with the Jets here. Five and a half feels like way too much for what that Saints offense has been. I think the Saints win the game probably. But honest to God, like if you put a gun to my head, I've barely picked the Saints to win the thing outright. Five and a half feels like a lot. 
on the uh, road, particularly with the way the Saints have been playing. They do have a good defense, uh, but we'll see. Uh, here's a really interesting one for a lot for two different playoff races. You have the Bengals and the 49ers. This is the Cincinnati Bengals plus two at home against the 49ers. Niners playing good football lately. Kind of back on track. Kyle Shanahan's got the running game going. They're in the seven seed currently in the NFC, a very muddled up um, NFC. So the three uh, wildcard teams in the NFC right now are the Rams at eight and four, the Washington professional football team winners of five in a row at six and six, and the uh, Niners are the seven seed. And then there is literally the entire division – I mean, the entire conference minus four teams behind them. They have the Vikings, Eagles, Panthers, Falcons, Saints, all at seven losses right behind them. So an important game. The AFC is even more jam-packed. You have the Bengals in the sixth spot, Bills in the seventh, and then literally the entire conference that is not the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Texans are within one game or a half game of the last two playoff spots. So crucial Crucial matchup here. Bengals plus two at home. They got embarrassed last week against the uh, against the Chargers at home. I like the Bengals here this week to win this game outright, actually. Um, I'm going to lock it. This feels like a game where the Niners just throw a complete dud on the road. Cincinnati, I don't think, is going to play that badly two weeks in a row. They don't necessarily love everything about the Bengals. They have real speed. Their defense is good. I'm still a Burrow believer. I am, uh, I'm going to go Bengals here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you just just straight up because I just like the Bengals and I just like how, you know, that franchise is, you know, kind of, you know, did the right thing and drafted Burrow and drafted Chase and, you know, and putting some seats, uh, you know, butts in the seats, you know. That's what that kind of franchise needed. So, uh, I'm going to go with the Bengals and I think they'll bounce back. You know, they did play terrible last week and uh, we'll, we'll see what they do this week, but I like the Bengals. Titans hosting the Jaguars in the second matchup of these two. Actually, no, they haven't played this year. Excuse me. I think the Titans have them a uh, second time. Titans minus eight and a half at home in Nashville. Titans haven't looked very good with life after Derrick Henry. Like, they had that game right after he got hurt where they went and turned over uh, the Niners. Or excuse me. They went and turned over the Rams and uh, Matthew Stafford a couple of times, really kind of kicked their ass on national television. It was like, wow, this team is just really resilient. Come back down to earth since. They can't really run the ball. The last time they played, though, they did, They were running the ball with decent success on New England. They just couldn't stop them. That said, I know it's coming off a bye, and Jackson, Jacksonville's a disaster. My God, I don't even know how you evaluate Trevor Lawrence at this point, given what he's working with offensively. I think Urban Meyer is an awful NFL head coach. But I can't believe I'm doing this. I would never actually play this game. But I'm going to go Jags plus eight and a half. I just don't trust the Titans to beat anyone by two touchdowns or more than a touchdown right now. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you here. I mean, you know, I just uh, I I picked up whatever random back, random running back that was. What which one is it? Name the running back. I mean, they had Peterson for a while. I know who you're talking about, but I can't. Uh, I, I he actually didn't play like two. Weeks I watch ago. the Titans every week, and I can't think of this guy's name. He's actually on my fantasy bench right now. I'm going to uh, I'm going to make sure I have this. So uh, look it up real quick. But yeah, dude. I mean, they're they're trying. And I'm hoping they get Derrick Henry back in late December. Dontrell Hilliard is what I was thinking. Who I was thinking of? Okay, Dontrell Hilliard. Well, I've got the other one. I've got uh, Nickel uh, McNichols. Oh uh, yeah, Jeremy McNichols. I knew he was second string behind Henry. I thought you were talking about one of the like nine backs they picked up. Hell, I think they had Devonta <laughs> Freeman at one point. It's it's been brutal. Yeah, and you know, like I said, you just can't. I mean, that's how essential uh, you know Derrick Henry is to that you know franchise. I mean, it's just something you just cannot go out and replace. And uh, 
you know, they built that offense around them and, you know, where you lean on them, you know, with Derrick Henry and uh, eventually that, you know, that defense kind of breaks and he runs, you know, a big run. But uh, I just can't see see them, you know, beating anybody by double digits. So uh, I'm going to go with the Jaguars here with you. Yeah, that's a – God, what a disgusting game. I saw a a stat last week. I don't know if it's true after the end of last week's games, but heading into last week, Derrick Henry was still second in the NFL in rushing, and he had not played in five weeks. Well, that's brutal. (laughs) That is insane. Um, Another great game here in the early slate, Bengals-Ravens. Talk about a desperation game here. It is Bengals minus – or excuse me, Browns-Ravens. Sorry, I messed that one up. Browns hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, talk about another weird division that, like, I think the Ravens are going to win this, but also I don't know because I think the Ravens are probably the best team, but because the amount of injuries they've had, you have weeks where you're like, what, what is this team? They're 8-4, and four, Cincinnati 7-5, and five, Steelers are 6-6, six and six, where the Steelers, like, pulled a couple wins out of their ass every other week. But then half the time they look like one of the bottom three teams in the NFL – you know, the first 35 minutes of that game Thursday night being the latest example of that. And then the Browns at 6-6. Six and six. These two, the AFC West and the uh, AFC North are two of the most fascinating divisions in football. You have the Browns minus three at home against the Ravens. This feels like an against-all-logic bet. I'm going to go Browns here. I'm shocked they're favored by three. Um, who knows what the Ravens' injury status is. I know Lamar's playing. I think there's one or two offensive linemen out, if I'm not mistaken. But, my God, have you seen what Baker Mayfield's run out doing every week? I mean, he's look, looking like he should barely be able to walk, much less play football. But I'll trust whatever Vegas knows here. I'm going to go Browns minus three. Yeah, I mean, I would have to kind of agree with you. But I, for some strange reason, this just seems like a game that just Baltimore wins. I, I just don't know how they win. But I'm just going to go with uh, Baltimore on the road for some strange reason. This game stinks to high heaven because the Ravens have had games where you're like, man, this team is – this team's resilient. They're tough. And then you have, like, entire, like, half stretch – like, halves of games where Lamar Jackson just looks absolutely horrendous. So, I don't know. What, the last week they lost – they lost that weird game to the Steelers last week. They shouldn't have lost. I don't think they lose two in a row. I think you're probably on the smarter play, but – I'm just going to take the against all logic pick there. I have not found even something close I'd like to lock yet. So we both still have all five of those in the pocket. Um, Panthers, minus two and a half hosting the Falcons. You and I should both be completely banned from playing this game because, uh, one, it involves the Falcons. Two, I don't understand the Panthers. I guess Cam Newton's playing quarterback for them. But, I mean, my God, can you take the Falcons? It's Carolina minus two and a half at home. I'll let you go first. I'll, I'll take the Falcons. I mean, <laughs> I know this is against every rule that we've uh, tried to establish on the show, but um, I mean, I can't, I can't figure out Cam Newton either. I mean, you know, the guy was, you know, um, eating hot dogs and sitting on his couch, you know, uh, in week one, two, and three. So, I don't know. I just don't trust the, the, the Carolina. I, I prefer Atlanta in this situation for some strange reason. Both of these teams suck, but are somehow five and seven. You remember the the Panthers started four and zero, oh, and it was like, holy hell, look what they have with Sam Darnold. And then Sam Darnold was so bad over the next five weeks, they signed Cam Newton. You know, the guy that couldn't keep the ball in the air over ten yards uh, with, get, with the Patriots last year. 
I God, I guess, you're make me good. I guess I'll go to the Falcons too. Well, I'll just break the rule. I, I have no idea. If you're playing that game, I'd like to know what, what you're having. Yeah, I think the under would be a good one on that, maybe. 41 and a half. I like that one. But then at the same time, like if this game is like 28 28 at halftime or something completely stupid, it wouldn't shock me either. Like I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. That's a, God, that's, that's a tough one. I guess I'll go Falcons though. Whatever. Um, Oh, here's one I actually think I'm going to lock. So, this is Washington football team plus four and a half uh, at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys really been struggling late. I know they got the win last week over the Saints, but they haven't looked the same. They've had some COVID issues at receiver. They haven't looked like the offense they looked for the first six, or I would say about five weeks of the season. You remember it looked like six weeks in, I think the Cowboys were five and one, and you're like, oh, this division's already over. Like, they had like a four and a half game lead. The rest of those teams sucked. You look up. Washington football teams won four games in a row. They're now six and six. Cowboys are eight and four. If Washington wins this game, like this is a real race. Now, if they lose it, Dallas is taking this division with ease. Washington plus four and a half at home. I'm going to take the football team and lock it. Well, yeah, this is my first lock too. I love the football team here. I just, you know, um, it's always a, a, a. I mean, I would say this is probably one of the better rivals or the top rivalry games in the in the league, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, and, I mean and like they're, they're well coached. The Washington football team is well coached under uh, Ron Rivera. Like, they're always scrappy. How they made the playoffs last year at 7-9 and nine after they had another horrendous start. Heineke can do some stuff. Like, he's okay. I, I'm not as high on him as I was probably in that playoff game last year heading into this year. They play ball control. They keep it away. Dallas is way better. But this feels like a game that Dallas is just going to piss down their leg, to be honest. That's why I'm going yeah. with the football Yeah. Team. Like I said, I, I like the football team. Let's, uh, I mean, you know, got to love a good home dog. Yeah. I uh, And this they need this game a lot worse. Although, I don't know. I guess that's not totally fair because Dallas can pretty much lock up the division. But I'm, just, I'm not trusting the Cowboys in this spot based on what I've seen the last four and a half weeks or five weeks or so from them for sure. Uh, last of the early games. Here's a doozy for you. Houston hosting the Seahawks. It's Houston plus eight and a half at home. Uh, I'm going to make this one easy. I think Houston is one of the worst teams in the league. They might be worse than the Detroit. Tyrod Taylor, I think, was benched last week. With that said, I don't think the Seahawks, with that defense, are eight and a half, better, eight and a half points better than anyone, particularly not on the road. So I'm going to go with the Texans. I just wagered on the Texans and the Jaguars in the same podcast and the Falcons, so I'm just going to go out back and have MC shoot me before we go to dinner here in a few minutes. Add the Jets, too. Oh, I did. Oh, my God. Okay, we're just going (laughs) to name this the Troubled Troubled Brain Podcast, I think is the way we're going to go with this. I did do that. Uh, You know what? We might as well get together and throw a parlay on all four of those teams because uh, it either works out well or we're just going to go up in flames. But I'm going with the Texans. What I've seen from Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, they're not eight and a half points better than any – any team. I mighty I almost yeah. took the full hot take and went there they're not eight and a half points better than Alabama, but I'm not gonna enrage the listeners late this late on a Friday. But I'm going to Texas. I think I mean I think Seattle's almost in the situation with uh New Orleans. You know, you just it's almost like you gotta press the refresh button, you know, nothing against Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, but you know, just sometimes you just change is uh just you know needs to happen. So yeah, I just I don't know if I could take the Houston Texans, especially how bad they are, but uh, I'm going to go Seattle. I'm going to disagree with you on this. I'm going to take Seattle just because, especially after you said that 
you've taken the Jets, the Texans, uh, and the you know the Falcons. So I'm uh, I'm not going to go on that go down that hole with you. Well, I don't blame you. Only I mean it's a suicide mission, but someone's got to do the work. Um, well, it's about to get worse because let me tell you. So we got the late games. So I probably I say this every week. I'm like, oh, it looks like a decent slate. That it's not. This one's a weird one. Every game I think on this slate is either really good or completely disgusting. Like we haven't had any just eh, okay games. Like Cincinnati's uh, San Francisco, fascinating. Like Kansas City, Las Vegas, fascinating. Saints, Jets, pretty gross. Titans, Jags, pretty gross. Atlanta, Carolina should not be allowed on television. Dallas, Washington, pretty awesome. Houston, uh, Houston and Seattle, pretty gross. <laughs> Here's another one. The Denver Broncos are minus 10.5 at home against the Detroit Lions. The Lions coming off their first win of the season. This feels like the sucker bet and a half, but I don't really care. I told you it was about to get worse. I'm going the Lions. Denver's not 10.5 points better than anybody. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm an idiot. But unless I'm missing something huge from an injury standpoint, Denver sucks. I don't know. The Denver's kind of had a fortuitous schedule to this point, particularly early in the year, but they kind of stink. And maybe they're banking on the fact that Detroit literally can't score, and I could buy that. Denver's defense is good. Jared Goff just got his first win ever with uh, having a head coach that's not Sean McVay. Not a great stat for him, but this is just too many points. I can't do it. I'm going to take the Lions plus ten and a half. Yeah, uh, uh, you can just might as well add the Lions to uh, to your gross uh, card. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, especially after I think I saw a tweet where they showed. Um, Jared Goff's girlfriend doing the Sports Illustrated swimsuit uh, calendar, and they showed her, you know, that the, the last play. So I saw uh, that a even bunch of old sports writers got borderline uh, uh, creepy with that. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But with that I being said, you. you know, I, I know Jared Goff has only won one game, but Jared Goff is definitely winning. So with that being said, I'm going to go with the Lions because he uh, he's definitely winning right now. And there's like the, like Teddy Bridgewater does he he hurts bad defenses. Then you get him on like a Sunday night game last week, and you're like, why did people like this guy again? So I get that aspect of it. I just think that I think Denver does too much dumb stuff to be favored by that many points against pretty much anyone. I mean, the Lions worst team in the NFL, and the Lions. There's a lot of teams at this time of year that have mailed it in. Did you see the celebration after they won the game last week? They're not good, oh, yeah. and there's a million different reasons why they're not good. But they love uh, Dan Campbell. Like, they're, they're all bought in on that guy. And a team playing that hard still late in the year with nothing to play for, I think that's another aspect of it's too many points. They love that guy. They suck. I have no idea if he can coach. He's the guy that wanted, like, a live lion on the sidelines. Kind of a weird dude. Drinks, like, 200 ounces of coffee a day. But they love that guy, so I can get behind that. Yeah. And, and that's what's uh, – you know, that's uh, what wins money uh, towards the latter stages of this, uh, of this season. So – Got got to go for the uh, for the professional athletes that are all are still committed to the game. I'm trying to find the giant uh, the Chargers Giants line. So Daniel Jones is not. It's gone offline in this site that I'm looking up right now. It's gone offline. I read a report earlier this week from uh, someone I know that covers the Giants that some people believe Daniel Jones has like very serious spinal structural issues or neck structural issues from a Week 11 injury against Tampa Bay, and like. The guy didn't say it was potentially career-ending, but he threw out the possibility out there. I think he said, like, that some fear it could potentially be career-altering, which you – whatever you think of Daniel Jones, you hate to hear that. I don't think I'm making any sort of bold statement with that. That sucks. 
Uh, I saw a bunch of their fans wanted Jake Fromm to start, and instead they're still going with Mike Glennon. This is a stay away and a half. It's the Chargers minus 10 at home. I'll tell you what, though. I'm going to add it to the – I'm just all over the bad teams this week. The Chargers, you want to talk about teams that do way too much dumb shit to be favored by 10 points and have too bad of a run defense. Giants, plus 10, book it. I don't care who's at quarterback. The Chargers will win this game, but they will do two really dumb things that turn a 17-point game into a seven-point game in the fourth quarter. I just don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's some big big spreads uh, this week and, you know, some kind of weird matchups. But with that being said, you know, I, I, I kind of lean in towards that Giants, but Man, I mean, I just – surely the Chargers play really good against bad teams. So, hopefully they uh, cover the spread. So, I'm, I'm going to hopefully uh, win by two touchdowns here. I'm going to go with the, the, the Chargers here. So, if you're keeping score at home wondering if I'm on drugs, I'll leave that up to you to decide. I have now wagered on the Detroit Lions, the Houston Texans, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Jets, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm feeling damn good about it. Uh, I can't wait for you to get uh, – if you get in on this Bears uh, uh, also, add it to the list. <laughs> I don't know if I can get that crazy. We'll check back in. Uh, check back in with me mid-Sunday afternoon and ask me how I'm feeling. Uh, let's see. Last uh, late game, premier late game, uh, a good one, I think. It's Tampa and Buffalo. Tampa Bay coming off a bye, minus three and a half. Buffalo coming off that very weird Monday night game against the, uh, against the Patriots. Did you watch this game? Yeah, it was a good game. 55-mile-an-hour wind gust. The Patriots won where Mac Jones attempted three passes. Three. In a game where, essentially, if one team was going into the win, they didn't end up doing it, but they might as well would have gone for it because the farthest you could advance the ball was punting it, and then throwing into the win was pretty much impossible. Although Josh Allen has such a rocket of an arm, the throws he were making like in that win, whether it was downwind or against it, was really the biggest weapon on the field, and Buffalo just refused to use it. I was very shocked by that strategy. Patriots come out with a massive win, and they're in the driver's seat. They're not only going to win that division, in my opinion, they're going to be the one seed in the AFC. I'm not sure Buffalo's good, and I'm going to take Tampa off a bye every day of the week, particularly with Tom Brady. I know there's no Antonio Brown. That situation's weird. I'm going to use my second lock because I haven't used very many this week for good reasons, as I outlined. I'm going to go Tampa minus three and a half and lock it. I'm not sure Buffalo's good. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to lock it up, too. I mean, I, last time we did all these locks, it's the same. We did pretty good. So, I'm going to lock it with you. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is just too, too good. Green Bay, Sunday night football hosting the Chicago Bears. This is a rough, rough, rough stretch for Chicago here. Uh, Matt Nagy's going to get fired. You had that weird report that he was already fired after or right before the Thanksgiving game. That didn't turn out to be accurate. The Bears organization doesn't really fire coaches in season. I read a big piece about how that's just never really happened and they weren't going to do that. Um, I don't really know what the Bears had to play for. I don't know who's starting at quarterback for the Bears. I don't care. I'm probably not playing this game, but it's Green Bay minus 12 and a half, and I'll just take Green Bay. I just can't do the Bears. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I'd much rather take Aaron Rodgers on any day of the week than, than, any, uh, than any Matt Nagy plays. So, I'm going to go with you on that. I'm going to throw a wild card because this is the lightest lock week I've ever had doing this uh, segment because I've only used two and we only have one game left. The over-under on that's 43. I would actually love the over on that. I'm going to lock the over. How about that? Oh, okay, yeah, I like that. We can start looking at that. 
But, I mean, we have enough trouble with spreads. Throwing under, over under in the mix with my brain is just a recipe for disaster. Um, Monday night football game is a fantastic game. Arizona Cardinals hosting the L.A. Rams. L.A. needs this from badly because the Cardinals are on a threat. You know, what we thought would be the strongest division in football with, you know, I mean, you got Arizona, Los Angeles with Matthew Stafford, the 49ers, and then Russell Wilson. Um, like, I thought this would be the best division in football. I guess you could make an argument. It had, might have the three best teams. I don't know. Arizona's 10-2 and two and not getting any respect from anybody. I don't really understand why. Maybe it's because Kyler Murray has missed a month. But if you look at their statistics and, like, like I don't want to say analytics, but some – beyond just the pale, like, surface numbers, Arizona's defense is actually better than their offense, even with Kyler Murray. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we look up at the end of the year in this year where everyone's talking about how there's no great teams and we can't figure the league out, that Arizona just completely rolls through the playoffs. That wouldn't stun me at all. They're minus two and a half at home against the Rams. If they win this, this division's over. Uh, the Arizona would have a three-game lead on the Rams and have and it would have won both games. So, uh, LA's only hope to keep this division alive is to win this in Arizona. It's Arizona minus two and a half. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to take the LA Rams to win this game outright. I just talked about how no one respects the Cardinals. I'm probably higher on them than most folks, but there's something about a December matchup where one team needs to keep, needs to win the game to keep the division alive. Um, this is kind of the classic LA Rams defense bows its neck. Sean McVay kind of pulls the hat trick out. Like they're they've been known for a couple of these with as many stinkers as they throw out. I'm actually going to lock the Rams to win this game outright on the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, it should be a really good game. I mean, I'm, I, 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 you know, for some strange reason, I don't know why the Cardinals uh, don't get the respect they they get. But they're the best team uh, in the NFL, bar none. Like I don't oh, yeah. think it's that close. I think in their I think their odds to win the Super Bowl is like plus nine hundred or something like that. Something ridiculous, you know. Absurd. Um with that being said, I, I I like the Cardinals. I just think the the Cardinals just get it done for some strange reason. I like the Cardinals here. Yours is the smarter play. I'm kinda of going out on a limb there. I think they win that division and get the one seed. That's the whole thing. I don't understand the plus nine hundred, the lack of respect. The odds are I mean, I guess they got Green Bay kind of breathing down their neck, and Green Bay did – well, okay, I didn't think about that. So, Green Bay's not in three. Arizona's 10-2. and two, And Green Bay won that game in Arizona with all those COVID guys out. Oh, yeah, that was, the, um, that was the one where Aaron Rodgers' uh, uh, chin strap went over his nose. Yes, that might have been the best Thursday night game of the year. So, if it does become a tie, I guess Green Bay would have the tiebreaker – and in this current playoff format with the extra playoff team, the one seed is everything. You, you're the only one that gets to buy, and you won't have to leave your building for the entire time. If Arizona gets the one seed, though, they're going to the Super Bowl, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, I just like the Rams in this one. I think that division – it's almost wishful thinking. So uh, that is week 14 in the NFL. We're finishing up bye weeks this week. Fantasy playoffs start next week. We're coming down to the nitty-gritty, and this is where we're going to make our money. Um, like I said – buy some new Christmas presents. I'm going to probably going to get a new pair of blue Delta jeans. And the way I'm going to do that is by betting on all the worst teams in the NFL, like I did this week. So bulletproof yeah, strategy. I like, I like it. I yeah. Like it. I've never been more confident in betting the, uh, in betting the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, we do have one more game to get to, and it's arguably the most important game because it's the troops. We have the army Navy game this week. I don't know much about it. Army is eight and three. Navy's three and eight. Navy's a touchdown underdog. 
I don't know. I like the honest to God. I don't want to like put it. I don't want to be a wet blanket about the Army Navy game because I do think it's cool. I love the uh, all of the pageantry and the pregame stuff. But man, about a quarter and a half in this, it's a snoozer. It's hard, hard, hard to watch. But that's not really the point of it. I get it. Also, Army minus seven. I don't know where this game is. It's a neutral site. I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna take a two by sea instead of one by land. I'm gonna go Navy plus seven. I have absolutely no basis for that at all. I think uh, it's usually at Baltimore Stadium, maybe, because they used to do it at the um, the uh, Philadelphia, the vet, the old the old vet. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it might be in Baltimore. I'm not 100%. Uh, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes of the game is really awesome, and then you're asleep uh, before halftime. Uh, but, yeah, with that being said, take the under – and the over go, under on this game is 35. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go against you only. I'll, I'll take Army in the under. How about like 20, 21 to 10? How about that? I like that. I like that. I, yeah, I, I mean, 21 to 10. How about like 14 nothing or like 17 7? Like this game is Or it could just be 10 to 3. That is also true. Or 10 nothing. <laughs> so, like, it, it, I like that. Uh, under for sure. Um, all right, well, that is going to do it for Fresh Cuts this week. We made it to the, pretty much the end of the college football season. We will have our bowl extravaganza next week. I might do a little uh, collaborating, as uh, the Instagram influencers like to say, with Skybox regarding uh, some bowl stuff, maybe for the listeners out there. Get uh, LB's Greg in it as well. Got that in the works. I appreciate it, man. This has been fun, and we'll, uh, we'll holler at you next week. Uh, oh, Bob, I didn't do the I, – I forgot to check in before we get out of there. What we got going on at the store? Sorry. Oh, yeah, man. Just always the same. You know, we uh, just got done uh, doing all the fresh sausage and just got done cutting all the beef. So it's ready to go for this weekend. And uh, just got salmon, some scallops, and some redfish uh, snapper in as far as fresh fish. So, you know, uh, we're about to come up on holiday seasons, you know, doing beef tenderloins, standing rib roast, and stuff like that. So, just always call the store, you know, just give us your what time you want to pick it up and everything, right, right, and we'll have it ready. But standing rib roast, beef tenderloin, there's, that's always real popular at Christmas time. So just always call the store, 662-259-2999, and just call the store and uh, place an order, and we'll get you taken care of. LB's University Avenue, best place in the world to get meat. Oxford is very lucky to have it. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. All right, that's our show. I appreciate you guys tuning in and making it to the end. I'm sure by this time, your weekend is uh, well underway. So uh, you guys have a safe and happy weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do or do. I don't know. You're all adults out there. I can't control you. But I appreciate you making this a part of your day. Um, Again, I'm always kind of flabbergasted at uh, the way this podcast has grown and the amount of people that are listening or willing to listen to me blabber to guests three to five times a week. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You people have a wonderful wonderful weekend and we will catch you on uh sunday got a ton of recruiting stuff we're going to do with weldon we got a big big week of podcasts in the works so uh y'all stay tuned i'll holler at y'all next week